Hello everybody, welcome to SK Book Talk, and let's go to chapter number four. Chapter four. This begins part two, titled "Desirable Difficulties." Malcolm starts talking about David Boyce, who has dyslexia. It's a language processing disability, inability. Commonly thought just people read backwards, but no, they don't read backwards. They just can't read. It's very difficult for them to read. But as he has done, he turns it around and says, "Could this be a bad thing?" It's sort of like how we learn things. Soft is good. Soft is comfortable, but it's bad, huh? When you're riding a bicycle for a long period of time, like you're doing a trip. Over days, you actually want a hard seat, not a soft seat. It's better for you. It's more comfortable for you in the long run, as in after eight hours. They say sleeping on a hard surface is better for your back, like tatami mats in Japan. Counterintuitive as but but as we're discovering this book, many things are counterintuitive, but actually correct. So when you have dyslexia, you have to think more when you read, and that makes you better at answering certain questions, complicated questions, questions that aren't as simple as they seem. Malcolm gives a few examples of cognitive reflection test questions, and he shows that the people who have dyslexia. Answer better. One question, for example, a bat and a ball cost one ten in total. The bat costs one dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Well, most people would just say, "Well, ten." Well, one more than the ball. One plus one ten is one twenty. So it has to be five. It's all questions we could do with this little bit of simple algebra, which we should all know. But the question is, how deeply do you think about it? And this is actually addressed in Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow. This idea that we have two systems. He's a brilliant mind, but he just doesn't write slash name very well. System one, system two. Who thought of that? But system one and system two, and one is the intuitive system, the system that just works without us having to put in any effort, and one is the other system which actually requires brain processing power. Many times we'll use system one. It's just easier. We're lazy, right? One we should actually be using system two. One example he gives is heuristics, replacing one question with a simpler question, and saying they're equivalent when they're actually not. For example, buying a stock. Say you want to buy a stock like a car company, Ford. I like Ford. They're a good stock. Well. I'm sorry, sir. It's not quite so simple. And as people know who have been following the stock market the past few days, months, it's not very simple. Sometimes it drops a lot. Sometimes it goes up a lot. How does it make any sense? Well, that's the thing. Whether Ford is a good stock to own is not the same as whether Ford is a good company. Is not the same as whether Ford makes good cars. 
there are some companies that make wonderful products that don't make any money. Not a good company to own. There are some companies that make horrible products but make lots of money. Probably a better company. There are some companies that have amazing stock prices that seem to not be doing anything in the world. I don't know what to say about that. But replacing the question with a simpler question is also what we did here. We just replace 10 cents plus $1. Okay. Yeah. What is 10 cents less than $1? 10 cents. $1. But that's the wrong question. It's a simpler question, but it's wrong. So Malcolm goes on to talk about how dyslexics had a hard time through school. They learned a lot of skills that other people did not have to learn. So for me, I read quickly. It's easy for me in school. Apparently I also made trouble. My mom said in first grade or whatever, I acted out because I was just bored. And the teacher, she had a conference with my mom and she figured it out. And she gave me more tasks to keep me entertained. So she said, if you read like five books in like a week or two, and I'll treat you out to McDonald's. So I did that and it worked out much better. And she ended up winning teacher of the year. But did I miss out? Because I didn't learn these other skills. I didn't learn negotiating skills. I didn't have to negotiate for grades because my grades were good. One thing though, I disagree with Malcolm, and I think that he skipped over, or at least didn't point it out and address, is in the last chapter, we talked about Carolyn Sachs and the difficulties she encountered going to an Ivy League school, where she felt like she was working as hard as she could, but she still wasn't cutting it. Why is that bad? Why is her difficulty not desirable? Why is David Boy's difficulty desirable? He wouldn't wish to succeed on anybody. Malcolm somewhat says that, well, because feeling inadequate is not a desirable thing. It's not. I'm sure David Boy's felt inadequate many, many times. Probably his whole life, basically. I think the answer to that question is perspective. See, later in life, these dyslexics, when you ask them to read something, what immediately goes on in their brain? The brain starts working, right? Starts working at what? At trying to read? Or at trying to figure out a way so they don't have to read? I think they're working even before they're presented the opportunity to read or requested to read on how to get out of this. Anticipation. I remember doing this. I went to summer school in middle school one year. And because of my name, I guess my name is, you know, my name sort of jingles. The teacher would always find things that rhyme with my name. Sometimes it'd be Sexy Sean or something like that, and everybody would laugh. 
And so before she got to my name, because I knew it was coming up, because she goes in alphabetical order when she's calling roll, I would try to say something to distract her, right? In high school, I usually showed up late to my zero-period class. It was academic competition quiz bowl. We just sort of answer questions like Jeopardy. It doesn't have to be in the form of a question, though. And I would show up late a lot because, eh, zero period, seven o'clock, what's the big deal? It's not a real class anyways. And the teacher would not be happy I should always show up late. Sometimes it'd be 20 minutes, sometimes it'd be 30 minutes. I try to slip in, but I couldn't always escape her sight. And so sometimes she'd spot me and then I'll start up a conversation. Oh, Miss Carpenter, you got a new hairdo. It looks pretty good. How did you decide to try red this time? I knew what was coming. She's going to ask me why I was late. But I'm going to preempt that. Distract her. Get her to focus on something else. I think these people, like David Boys, when people are about to ask them where to do it, they, their minds work in overdrive to figure out a solution around this. The solution isn't to read, to work harder on reading, because they couldn't. The solution is to do something else that they're good at. They focus not on what they cannot do, but on what they can do. Let me give you an example. A lot of these people with dyslexia, they're very good at talking to people. They're very persuasive. So they may ask instead for an oral exam instead of a written exam. And they'll do better. One friend who also has some difficulty reading, because when I mentioned I was reading this book and talked about these people, it takes them like two hours to finish 20 pages. He's like, hey, that's like about my pace. He did poorly in school, but he finally made it. And he realized that he didn't learn by reading. I guess he reads very slowly. He learned by doing, by listening. So he started listening to lectures very carefully. And he could glean more from a lecture than other people were reading. It's the opposite for me. In school, a lot of times I didn't go to lectures. I didn't need to. I could read it. It would be much faster and I remember it better. Because sometimes I remember exactly where on the page it is, even. Malcolm uses a term called capitalization to describe people like Tiger Woods. People who start very early with a talent and get better because they're already talented. So when Tiger Woods was really young, like a one or two years old, apparently he already hit a ball. So he plays more, his dad encourages him to play, and he likes playing because he's good at it, versus if you're not good at it, right? And so when you're not good at something, right, oftentimes you feel like giving up. When you're good at it, you'll persist. And so these people, these dyslexics, these people with learning difficulties, if they focus on doing something they're not good at, they won't get very far because they're just not good at it. Their brain doesn't work. It's instead, they focus on doing stuff they are good at. They could get better at it. And they could almost compensate for their deficiencies in other fields. It's like playing a video game. One of these games where you have characters and you have different powers, agility, strength, speed. Many characters are imbalanced. 
somebody's very fast but has no armor but they don't need armor because they never get caught they're just a long range archer so if they were to improve their abilities when they level up would they improve their speed or improve their armor the idea is they'll probably improve their speed because their armor is just so horrible they can never get it up they could get it up to five when another person who's built to be a tank is at 20 already it's just there's sort of no point just get better at what you're good at and that's what these people did and i think the idea of why carolyn Sachs had difficulty and didn't continue on is because she wasn't able to change her perspective she focused on what she could not do she worked really hard but she couldn't make it in her science courses And part of that is the expectation that she's going to do well. She thought she was smart. She goes to a big school. She's now in a big pond. She's not a big fish anymore. If she didn't have the expectation that she was smart, maybe she'd be satisfied with just passing. And she could have finished her degree in the sciences still. But it's hard to change her perspective, right? When I went to school at Berkeley. I find it, eh, okay. It was hard. Definitely there are lots of smart people. I remember meeting James Merriweather at their reception in the beginning of the year for the scholarship winners. He was this guy who was brilliant in math. I think one of his parents was a professor at the local college. But we had a math meet in our county in high school. And I went for fun because I'm just not good at it compared to everybody else. And he was a whole standard deviation above anybody else in terms of winning. Like nobody else was even close. And this is Orange County, California, not a poor area. And he was there, you know, fiddling at the fence by himself. And I saw him and I ended up talking to him and I asked him, why did he go to Berkeley, right? Because he's so good. He's like, well... Didn't you know Berkeley has a best math program? So I didn't know that. Now I do. But Berkeley has a really good engineering program. But what I could focus on was how my friend went to Stanford and I only got into Berkeley. He was number one, I was number two. I thought Berkeley was an inferior school, but soon enough I forgot that. Because I realized engineering was not so simple. It was actually pretty hard. And the thing is, for engineering... I wasn't that smart. Now, I wasn't dumb. I was probably middle of the pack, maybe a little bit higher than middle of the pack. But to get good grades, to perform, I needed to work really hard. I had a friend from middle school who also went to Berkeley, and she worked really hard. And she would tell me, you know, if you just don't do anything, you get like your B or C. If I don't do anything, I'll fail. If I work really hard, I can only get a B. As in, it's not fair. I had two choices. One is to get with it. Start working hard. And that's actually what my friend did at Stanford. Because we both relaxed, didn't do much in high school. I mean, our four-year GPA, we were 0.2 above anybody else. Nobody was even close. But he learned to work hard. 
I feel like, you know, this idea that Carolyn Sachs worked really hard and said she couldn't make it. I don't buy it because I don't know how hard she worked. And I feel many people, when they say they worked really hard, they have no idea what hard work is, right? And that's the problem. They may think they're working really hard, but they're not. And that's also the problem because they think their strength is their intelligence. And now it's not a strength anymore. I'm reminded of a story of my friend came over when he was in middle school from Taiwan, meaning he doesn't speak English well, can't read or write well, and he has thrown into middle school and then a good high school. People were taught at this school. It's one of those very competitive schools in the greater Los Angeles area. He had a hard time. He just wasn't that smart. He'll tell me he's not that smart, but he could just work hard. But the funny thing is, who taught him that? His dad. His dad would sit and talk to him and say, look, son, you're just not that smart. Can you imagine a dad telling his son, you're not that smart? His dad says, son, but you could work hard. His strength became not his intelligence, but his ability to work hard. Other people would study six hours until midnight. He would study until 2 a.m two extra hours and that made a difference he got into a decent high school i mean a decent college he made it into residency after his medical school he didn't go to the best schools but he's now a dermatologist his goal but he knew how to work hard he knew that was his strength, and he could work harder. And that's one difficulty with people like Carolyn Sachs, who thinks she's intelligent. You can't really improve on your intelligence, unless you're distraught when it's not enough. But you could always work harder. End of chapter 4.